This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. That warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here, really Coach Hogg today in the Coach Hogg's locker room. As we do every Monday, we're having a great time. You're actually in the Steve Spurrier Grill inside our podcast studio inside the Steve Spurrier Grill, where you may see everything about Steve Spurrier in all kinds of shapes and forms, pictures and trophies and watches and hats, and it's quite the place to be. And it's a great restaurant, and it's uh, got this podcast studio right here where we occasionally come here, especially like to do it when I have a guest like the one we have today, who has been a long-time sports writer, analyst, blogger, entrepreneur in the community, and I'll tell you a little secret, I'm holding it back for a while now, but he and I really go back to his high school days. Very few people know that, but we'll have some fun with that in a moment because those were really glorious days, if you will. We are going to have the call-in line working here in a moment as soon as we get everything all wired up. So you may call in your questions and it will be answered by our production staff and they will put you in this waiting room for a moment and let you come in because we're going to talk about all things interesting to you, about all things interesting. And we might cover quite a, a, a wide range of topics here. But the one that Franz Beard, who's my longtime friend and longtime uh, sports presence, really, in our community, and he goes back to having been discovered by one of the great guys who was a mutual friend of both of ours, and that was uh, Jack Harrison, who was really the old-time lampshade, cigarette-smoking sports writer who always got it right and Worked out of Mississippi, where he came from, of all places. I can't think of a better um, um, image of a sports writer than Jack Harston. And I'll let Franz tell you the story about how Jack Harston really kind of discovered him. So um, we're going to also praise, of course, our great sponsor, Melvin Law, with 50 years of experience, the only official law firm of the Florida Gators, Melvin Law won't back down. And crime prevention. Worry less with crime prevention security systems by preventing package theft with their doorbell camera, contact them today at cpss.net. And, of course, our mug shots, which get 45,000 looks a month that are brought to you by the law office of Maurice T. McDaniel, is our country lawyer from High Springs, great supporter of the show. So, uh, good morning, Franz. Thanks for coming down here uh, and joining us. He and I have lunch together occasionally. We've talked about occasionally from time to time doing one of these shows. And our call-in line, once again, is going to be 352-389-3997. What story you want to start with, back to the days of your youth that I know all about? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> you, you probably know too much, so, uh, <laughs> so we better stick to, th- better stick to things that, 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 that we can talk about. Well, let's just talk about one thing that you were a part of. That was a great high school championship basketball team, right? Well, I didn't get to play my senior year. I played my junior year. My senior year, I tore, I tore a meniscus, and back in those days, that was major surgery. So I didn't get to play my senior year. But it worked out well because I ended up working for the Gainesville Sun and then for Jack Harston uh, with the Jacksonville Journal. And so um, I had, when I had been in Mississippi during my family's three-year exile to Mississippi, <laughs> um, we went from Gainesville, where I was—I loved Gainesville. Gainesville was wonderful. Uh, I, Sarge Squires knew me, and I always—he get—he took care of me on on game days. I sold cokes, made money. I was just—I I thought I was the king of the world in Gainesville. And then we got exiled to Mississippi, and it was like going to the now, dark. Now, what do you mean exiled? Well, my dad's company, my dad was um, the chief financial officer of Adkins Manufacturing. Red Adkins, the former mayor of of Gainesville, in fact, and his dad was a longtime, you know, icon in the community, uh, Mr. Mr. Adkins Sr. 
But Red Atkins uh, sold the co- – Red, Ad- Red decided he wanted to fish. He wanted to go out <laughs> the golf hammock. He had a place out there, had a boat. He wanted to fish, and he, he did not ha- share his dad's real passion for the business. And so uh, they were in the vegetable crate-making business, and Adkins Manufacturing out where Depot Park is now. That's where Adkins was. That's where the uh, uh, Cade Museum is now. Yeah, right. That right out there. So uh, anyway, I came home one day from school at Westwood and was getting ready to go to football practice. I played for Red Delaney. Uh, I was the left tackle. Tom Petty was the right tackle. We were <laughs> we were hundred we were hundred pounds and a hundred pound weight limit. And when I when I was a senior in high school, I was one hundred fifty three pounds. I think Tommy was still a hundred pounds. Back yeah, in the he day. was about hundred pounds. Yeah, back in the day. But I come home, and my dad is packing a suitcase, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, my parents are getting a divorce. <laughs> and he said, no, um, I have been, uh, the company's been bought. We're transferred to Mississippi. And lo and behold, we were transferred to Mississippi. And there was just one problem. We were there for three years, but while they were there, all the Florida business dried up because my dad was the the guy that, that made the, the Florida business work. He had the relationships. They didn't have it. And, of course, the one there's a lesson to be learned there, and that is, Ward, that business and everything like that, sports, you've been in it, teaching, and it's all about relationships. And if the relationships aren't there, then it, it just isn't, it doesn't work. And um, Sometimes so, they call it networking now, I guess. But it's just, I guess. It's, I think relationships are stronger than networking, though. But while I was in Mississippi, the, across the street from us was the editor of the Macomb Enterprise Journal, Charlie Dunnigan, worked for the Emmerich family, and they owned uh, newspapers in Greenwood, Mississippi, and I, they owned uh, Macomb, and they may have owned Hattiesburg, too. I'm not sure, but, but I do know they own Macomb and Greenwood. Um, and uh, Charlie Dunnigan asked me one day if I would write some do some writing for junior high sports turned out he had talked to my english teacher miss emma tumlin and miss tumlin said oh my gosh yes he can write and so <laughs> next thing i know i'm writing for a daily newspaper and when i was 14 13 when i was 14 i started covering high school sports and when i was 15 i started getting my first college assignments and i got to go to old miss and uh Memphis State was my first college game I ever got to write about, and that was in 1966. And Johnny Vault used an expletive when he saw me, and he thought I was some—he thought I was some kid who had crashed the <laughs> crashed the media thing. And then they told him I worked for Charlie Gordon, and he says, "Charlie Gordon was a sports editor," and he says, "Oh, you work for him?" I went, yeah. and I'm just about peed my pants, and he <laughs> said, and so he. Um, and it turned out well. I, I, you know, I. It was, now, just, was Jack Harrison out there then? Well, Jack, Jack was already in Florida. Jack was with the Jacksonville Journal. So when we moved back, I, um, I played basketball my junior year, and we had a great team. We had the best team in the state, and then we had the teacher strike. If you remember that year, sixty-eight. And, yep. And we missed three weeks, and during that time, we were allowed to practice one hour a day. Monday through Friday, and Garney Hatch was our coach, and our practices lasted two and a half hours. Our practices were brutal. Our pra- you know, Coach Hatch had this philosophy that if practice was hard, the games would be easy. Mm-hmm. And our practices were much more difficult than the games ever were. But we had that three weeks off, and, and we weren't the same team when we came back. You know, uh, we ended up getting beaten in the district finals by um, Winter Park, 51 to 50 was the final score of that game. And we missed the front end of seven one and ones. Kind of hard to win when you do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, then, the ne- then I tore my meniscus in the spring, didn't get to play. But that worked out well because I worked for, started working for Joe Halberstein. And then in January, I get a call. And uh, it's a phone rings on a, I guess it was a Monday night. And all of a sudden, Franz Beard. I went, yes, sir. <laughs> it sounds says, like him. Jack Kirsten here. <laughs> I said, uh, 
hi, Mr. Harston. He says, want to work for me? <laughs> sure. He says, pay you 25 a week. It sounded like all the money in the world for 17 years old. I said, yes, sir. He says, someone will call you tomorrow and tell you what you're going to do. That was my interview. And, and there's, there's a lesson to be learned here, Ward. If your interview lasts about 25 seconds, you either have knocked them dead or, 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 or they think you stink. One of the two. The, you, know, you, don't have, you don't have to wait forever to decide, well, am, am I good enough for this job? Do they want me? Whatever. Yep. If it lasts 25 seconds or less, you're either in or you're out. I was in on this one. So. Well, he could make a decision. He knew what he wanted. He was a real character. He's what I call a real raconteur, a storyteller. Yeah. And I tell you this secret about him. He's, and I hope you all understand we're talking about a sports icon here, really, writer. Um, he would play tennis out there at the club where we played. And then when he was finished, you could always tell the jacket was on the court that day, even if you had done, didn't know when you pulled up that he'd been there. Because under this big oak tree would be a circle of people. And they would all be, of course, listening to Jack tell stories. And it was just magnificent, magical, because he would be telling stories. And everybody who had been on the courts could hang around, would come over there and sit there and listen to those stories. And they were always filled with ribald humor and secret little things he'd never told anybody else. And um, it was just really fun knowing him. And I was really uh, grateful to have an opportunity to to share some time with him. He, he always wanted me to write a story uh, called Biggin. And he said, Ward, why aren't you going to write that story, uh, Biggin? And it was about Nye Black. Yeah. And he always wanted it. I said, I said, Jack, I don't think I can write that story. <laughs> well, Jack and Nye Black and I would eat lunch over when there was such a thing as Ryan's Steakhouse. And we would go over there and eat lunch. And I had more fun listening to those two go back and oh, forth. Golly. And, uh, you know, and, and the cool thing about Nye Black is once, once Nye Black decided you were his friend, you were his friend forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, lo and behold, don't ever say anything bad about one of Nye Black's friends. I mean, that, yeah. that, was, that was the unwritten rule. And it was always great because people would stop by and they'd say hi to Jack and everything like that. And Jack... You know, Jack and his usual, <laughs> you know, and then Nye Black, you know, and it was amazing the number of kids that would stop by. They were grown men now and say, you know, coach, I remember that time you came to my house and you told my mama that if she'd let me, if she'd let you take care of me, mile your way, that I'd turn out all right. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, dozens of people like that would come up and just and and stories were always the same about how Jim Nyblack reached out at a time when maybe they were heading for some trouble or something like that. He had a he had a real sense about that with kids, and I think that's one of the reasons why kids played so hard for him uh, on a football field is because. They always knew Nye Black had your back. Yeah. And, you know, he was always looking for that winning edge. And I, I know that uh, few people know this. They know that Dr. Kate, of course, developed Gatorade. But they don't know, and you confirmed this, because we talked about this the other day, that uh, Gainesville High School was the first high school to use Gatorade. And you said you used it on the basketball team. We used it on the football field. And we had to, of course, with Nye Black, we were always looking for that difference, as everybody is, between winning and losing. I remember one time we had uh, always had our pregame meal with steak. And somebody told uh, Coach Don Black, you know, that steak's too heavy on the player's stomachs. You ought to switch to pancakes. So <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to work. But anyway, he was ready to try anything. So I remember for a pregame meal, we switched to pancakes. And we went out there and gassed it. <laughs> and he didn't like those pancakes. But then one day Dr. K came along. This is how I remember it anyway. And he said, and I can imitate Dr. And, and, and Coach Nye Black, he said, would you try, you might want to try this. So you had to mix it, as you know. We oh, yeah. had to throw the stuff in a big vat with a big paddle for to feed a football team anyway, as I remember it, and mix that stuff up. And it tastes exactly like you were drinking 
a glass full of zinc or something. It was awful. It was. But by golly, you know, the next time we went out, the fourth quarter, we didn't get tired. And by the way, boy, that was it. We were the Gatorade users from that point on in the high school. And I, I think it made a tremendous difference because our, our motto then was, well, you may beat us physically on the scoreboard, but Gainesville High will beat you up and you'll wish you'd never tried to do it. Yeah. So we were always trying, just as Garney Hatch would tell you guys, practice is going to be rougher than the game. We'd always take the position that, well, we're not going to be tired in the fourth quarter, you know? Yeah. Well, along came the Gatorade and really enhanced that, that, uh, that attitude, you know? And by golly, we were sold on it. So I think we were the first ones. And uh, Phoebe Kay didn't know that, by the way, the last time I saw her. She was very interested in that because we know, of course, that it, uh, you know how that story, I think you and I were talking about this, but maybe she told me, but the way that Gatorade got really spread around was through the trainers. The coaches really didn't have much to do with it at football, at yeah. the Brady Great House and those guys. The trainers came along and started using it, and all of a sudden the coaches noticed, and that was why Brady Great House was in on the uh, Gatorade world. Well, the up. I, I do remember this, and – they they br- they would bring it in. They'd mix it up, and we'd have it for there for basketball practice, for example. And never forget Nye Black saying, "I know this stuff tastes like goat piss, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> it worked, <laughs> and it, it does. It, yeah, it, it, it 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 didn't. It does, and um, you know, you, I." I course you know they even did a commercial jack was in jack was a uh uh in on gatorade commercials there for the longest time yeah they did it talked about keith jackson talking about doing a commercial for gatorade and they would uh cut to jack jack talking about how the gators started using gatorade and they started winning in the fourth quarter and stuff (laughs) like that and i never forget jack showing me his Screen Actors Guild card. <laughs> he he had to he had to get a union card to be in the commercial, and so uh, he he was very proud of that uh, screen. Well, actor. Rightfully so. He, yeah, he was. Rightfully he remember, so. uh, you know, another credential. And he yeah. had, he his dad it. was a his dad was a lawyer in Mississippi. Jack's dad. Yes, I'll be darned. Yeah, Jack's dad was a was a, a lawyer up in the Mississippi Delta. We're talking with Franz Baird, who is really, as you can tell, a walking encyclopedia. Of, and most guys I know who are really involved in the sports world can do exactly what you hear Franz doing. That's remember scores. He just impressed me by his, you know, I know he wasn't trying to, it just was a matter of conversation, of a score from 60 years ago that was 51-50. And um, all the coaches, people I've known, especially Coach Nablack, whom we're talking about, who's now passed, of course, could remember who went left when he should have gone right and years, years later. So there's a number of things that we've been talking among ourselves in the sports world about here in Coach Hogg's locker room today that we have right now, the jury's out on this, but we were very cautious about it and we're not all that enthusiastic about it, at least in its present form. And that's what you may have heard me talk about called NIL or name, image, and likeness. And briefly what this is is – you get paid now for your prowess, even though you're not a professional, you're a student. And there's a couple of ways of looking at that. I think my first memory of that was Emmett Smith complaining that the University of Florida was making all kinds of money off his number 22, but he wasn't making a red cent. And I don't know whether that was really one of the beginnings of the conversation. It was probably more than that. There's also the old stories that, well, so-and-so paid so-and-so to come under the table to get them to come to the college. And that's one thing we're pretty sure this will stop. And talking to some of the other coaches that uh, have seen this transition, well, okay, that won't be going on anymore because now it'll be out in the open and we'll just do what we've always been doing, but we'll call it name, engine, and likeness. Depending upon your familiarity with these things and whether or not these stories are all so or not, there's probably a kernel of truth to all of them. So Franz, what's your opinion? Your, I know it's a studied opinion because you write about it. You've been talking about it. Um, on this name, image, and likeness, we, uh, more of this collective, I guess, is a good 
place to start, too. Well, the Gator Collective, I think, is doing a really good job of funneling money to Florida athletes. Um, I know that they were directly involved, for example, last week in Colin Castleton deciding to return to Florida. And, of course, Colin had two reasons to do it. One of them was NIL money, which came in handy. And the other one was he has to have surgery on a torn labrum. If you notice during the season, he was always rebounding with one hand. That one arm was his right arm. It's because he had a torn labrum in his left arm. He played the entire season one, with one arm. People don't realize what a, what a tremendous kid. He really is a tremendous kid. Hard-working, good kid, great personality, makes good grades in class and everything like that. And he elected to come back, but the NIL money came in handy with that. Um, he decided that he could come here. And he's going to make more money than he would have made in the G League, which is where he would have had to be because uh, explain he w- the G League to the audience. the G League is kind of like AAA. You know, in in baseball, you have the minor leagues and you have triple, you know, Class A, Double A, Triple A. Well, the G League is kind of like Triple A. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, well, maybe Double A, because I'd say Triple A is is the the Euro- the higher European leagues. Because they pay a lot more money, and uh, and only because of that, and uh, I think it's more competitive there. And the G League, you have a lot of kids who want to play in the NBA, and they they're willing to work for low wages for that opportunity. And uh, the That's only an interesting g- point. So instead of him going over there or going to one of those leagues, he'll stay here and actually make more money. Yeah. Well, I'll give you another example. The leading rebounder in the country last year, the National Player of the Year, Oscar Shibway at Kentucky. Uh, he stayed, didn't he? He's staying. And I'll tell you something interesting. I'm all ears. I want, he was, this is what Franz is so good at. I'll tell you something interesting, and he will know what is interesting. So all ears, here we go. Okay. Shibway couldn't get any NIL money until about a little past midseason. Actually, it was in February. And the reason being that he was on an on a an F one foreign visa, okay, as a student. Well, they found a loophole in there that would allow him to get NIL money, which all of a sudden he became the last Kentucky player to be driving a Porsche. Every <laughs> single every single Kentucky basketball player drives a Porsche, including the walk ons. Really? Cali- the oh, walk-ons, yeah. too? Oh, yes. Kentucky's takes basketball fanaticism. I mean, there are fanatics, and then there's Kentucky, and the fanatics are like romper room by comparison. Wow. And, uh, I mean, you know, Duke and Carolina think they have fans. No, they don't. They have people who like their school. Kentucky has fans. Good point. I mean, the Big Blue Nation... And, and this is why the NCAA, if the NCAA loves it, if Kentucky is advancing in the tournament, because wherever they play, it will sell out. If Kentucky loses early in the SEC tournament, you can bet your boots that the next games, the arena will be half filled. Uh, when Florida, I'll give you an example, when Florida played for the national championship in 2006, the first one that Billy won. Okay, the SEC tournament was in Nashville. Kentucky loses in the semifinals. Florida plays um, Florida plays South Carolina in the championship game. There may have been 3,000 people there. When Kentucky was there, the arena, there were people scalping tickets. Mm -hmm. Shibway, John Calipari, told me this. He said he will make more, he's coming back, he'll make more NIL money than he will as a second-round draft pick in the NBA. Really? Yeah. you got to understand, Kentucky does it differently. What kind of dollars are we talking about? Oh, Shibway's going to make $2 or $3 million. In college. 
Yeah. Well, Bryce Young last year made two million. Can uh, uh, there's a kid who's a high school, going to rising senior, Nico Iamaleva. I am a lia. I got. Yeah, I have trouble saying that word. There's it's, a lot of syllables in there. There are a lot of syllables. Typically, Polynesian Samoan. Maybe a I, consonant too. I don't know. <laughs> he, 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 I think he's a, a Samoan kid because he has a. That's a Polynesian name anyway. He's out of Long Beach Poly in California. Okay, great schools put a lot of kids in college. He's going to go to go to Tennessee. He already has an. Is that a eight, done deal? Because I heard he went landed there. Oh, that's, he's, that's he's not. He hadn't been there yet. He still has to do his high school senior year. Mm-hmm. He already has a deal for eight million dollars nil. You Quint, give that eight million dollars to a high school student who will be coming to a college who hasn't played a down of football in college yet. Well, last year Quinn Ewers, who was at. Uh, Carroll, um, where, where is that? Uh, South Lake Carroll, out of out of uh, Texas in the uh, in the Dallas suburbs, same school that Matt Stafford went to, and some other you know some high level talents gone there. I think um, Kyler Murray went to South Lake Carroll. In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, but they they've produced a lot of talent anyway. Quinn Ewers went to Ohio State because Texas had a law, now it's since been changed, that a high school kid could not get NIL money. So he did, he skipped his senior year, gets $2 million of NIL money, and goes up to Ohio State. Well, that went over like the proverbial fart in the elevator because the locker room despised him. He got in on four snaps. He went up there thinking with his – you know, he arrives with his bleach blonde mullet, and he goes up there thinking he's just going to take over the world. Well, you know, they have some pretty good football players up there at Ohio State. You know, their quarterback, J.T. Shroud, um, may win the Heisman Trophy this year. You know, uh, <laughs> my gosh. And he goes up there and he played four snaps while he transferred to Texas. But this is what you were just talking about, Ward. This is a guy that totally unproven, and he's getting all this money, and it's it's totally out of control. And and this is what Nick Saban, this is what Dabo, we're getting we're, we're upset about. We jumped into this thing with no rules whatsoever. The NCA, in its typical effort to just throw it out there and say, somebody else handle it, we're too busy or whatever, or we're not smart enough, which I probably think is the really the thing. One thing about it, the NCAA, you have academians trying to run sports. Really? Yeah. That's what's going on? Mark Emmert is the former college president. He knows about as much about football as this helmet sitting right here. You know, he is uh, the perfect example of the Peter Principle. I'm a, and, and if you haven't read the Peter Principle, oh, have yeah, people yeah. out there, I you will need to tell read you. the Peter Principle. It explains a lot if you haven't read it. If, <laughs> if you read the Peter Principle, you'll look at that and you'll understand an awful lot about our society. Oh, yeah. Because the Peter Principle is about you keep getting promoted until you are at your highest level of incompetence. Well, you know, I heard that explained the other day when we were talking about that which shall remain unnamed, the attempt to get rid of a member of an administrative position here at our university. You can't fire this person, but you can promote them. And by promoting them, you can put them in a position, you'll pay them, but they don't do anything. It's crazy. That's that's the way it works, Franz. Yes, it is. That's the way it works. And this is actually the strategy. I'm not going to tell you inside this story, but this is actually the strategy that's in the works right now can't fire this person for all sorts of reasons, you can imagine. But we can promote that person, and that person won't have anything to do, and therefore be out of the way. It's crazy, but it's Peter Principle. Well, it, it is. And you know, the, the, one of the great examples in the book is that you take a guy who is a tremendous gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps, 
and all of a sudden you make him an officer. And the gunnery sergeant, the one thing why gunnery sergeants are so beloved is they're one of the guys. Oh, yeah. When you become an officer, you're no longer one of the guys. And, you know, uh, having a stepfather who's a Marine and, and having a bunch of friends like Jerry Osteen, who's a Marine, you know, being one of the guys is an important <laughs> thing to Marines, you know. And you all of a sudden you Master promote gunners, you, yeah. you you promote this guy to an officer, and he's no longer one of the guys. Officers can't be one of the guys. Mm-hmm. They have to be the guy that makes the decision and everything and passes it down. And then the the gunnery sergeant's the guy that actually leads the charge. I mean, he says, okay, he he's the guy that rallies. Same the as troops. the chief in the navy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those guys are something. They really run the whole thing. Yeah. And um, talking with Franz Beard, I don't know how our time we're doing. Uh, production, maybe hold up. On the bottom of the hour. We're on the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We got the phone line open if you want to call in and ask us a question. Some of these stories that we're telling you may be stranger than fact, but they are fact. I mean, these salaries and money. And when we get back, let's talk a little bit about our speeding quarterback who was going 100 miles an hour down the road here. Ward's got Coach Hogg, Coach Hogg's locker room, with a real knowledgeable sports writer, insider, the whole nine yards. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Welcome back to Coach Hogg's Locker Room here on a Monday here in the Steve Spurrier podcast studio inside the Steve Spurrier Grill. And we want to thank Melvin Law with 50 years of experience the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melon Law won't back down. We have a Melon Law cup right here that I was gifted by Jeffrey for being on his podcast show. And crime prevention, worry less with crime prevention security systems by preventing package theft with their doorbell camera. Contact them today at cpss.net. And Maurice T. McDaniel, who sponsors our mugshots, the law office in High Springs, the country lawyer. So we've been talking um, with Franz here. We have our phone line open. Don't be bashful, 352-389-3997. And during the break, I noticed that uh, one of my longtime friends and viewers, and I go way back to the days that Franz and I are talking about at Gainesville High now, when uh, we went to experimenting with how to best get the best performance out of our players. Um, And we went to Pancakes, and Jack Phillips, who's watching, is a i got a story about Jack, and we'll tell you in just a minute, Franz. Um, he said the pancakes had a baked potato, and I never th- realized this, but there was no butter allowed on there. No. No butter. Wow, that is so interesting. Well, listen, the story I've got about Jack is 
we played Wolfson in the playoffs here. I guess it was, I can't remember another system that we had, France, semifinals or whatever, this state high school championship football. And I'll be darned if uh, when we kicked off to Wolfson, they didn't run it back, as memory serves me, all the, about a 100-yard kickoff return. We were down in the dumps, and they kicked off to us. And I want to tell you that Jack ran ours back about 100 yards in return. So we were, we'd fired, a, we'd fired a, a, a missile across each other's bow, and it went on from there. They, it was, I think they had uh, Bill Thompson was their running Bill back. Bill Thompson was their running and, back. And um, what should we call it? Uh, Jeff Rousey, linebacker. Yeah, they had some players. And that was a slugfest. And uh, it had rained, too. Yeah. Not uh, too uh, not recently, and there was mud all up and down the, the sidelines. And uh, it was really a, quite an event. And, and, of course, we had Eddie McShann, the great Eddie McShann, I want to give a shout out to who watches the show and checks in once in a while. Uh, you made a story about Freddie that few, uh, I mean about Eddie that few people know, and that's how important the tip off, the jump ball was to basketball. Then you got a moment well, to talk about that? Sure. Well, nowadays they have this alternating possession, which I think is one of the dumbest things in the world. <laughs> uh, you know, if we'd had alternating possession, we may not have won the state championship in 1969 because we had a jump ball at midcourt and Gordy Mott who is five foot nine out jumped a six foot two guard for Tampa Hillsboro and tipped the ball tipped the ball and it went to uh, Dean Bass or it went to George Rafferty then over to Eddie Eddie sinks the shot from about 35 feet that wins the state championship but if there had been an alternating possession then, um, we would not have had, uh, uh, may not have had a chance to win it. So we turned that into an, uh, that was an offensive play for us. because we, Yeah, because we knew that Eddie was not going to lose the jump. Eddie never lost a center jump. Never. And this is a, I mean, even in the state semifinals, our senior year, we're playing Reigns, and they've got Truck Robinson, who ends up leading the NBA in rebounding a couple of years and played in the NBA a bunch of years. But six, he was over at Reigns. I think he was about 6'7 at the time and about 250. And here we are, a bunch of scrawny, <laughs> scrawny guys from Gainesville. And Eddie had more rebounds in that game than the entire Reigns team combined. But... We we designed it. Uh, we'd sit there, and they coach Hatch. Uh, then my senior year, it was Ed Poor who was the coach, and they would just say, "Okay, you're going to tip to here," and the other guard would go streaking down, and it was a layup, and we scored. We we went into every game figuring that we were going to start the game ahead eight to nothing, because there'd be four center jumps to start because you jumped the ball to start every quarter. And we always figured that we're going to win those four jumps. So we figured we were ahead eight to nothing before we ever started the game. And I, I give credit to Garney Hatch on that. People don't realize um, what a real genius the man was. I don't know if you got to know Garney. I, when I, he, I uh, coached with him. Yeah, but he he was a Sekmuller and I coached as, as as younger guys. So you might have been one of them. I wasn't. You weren't on my team. But he was one. Of, he was an X's and O's genius. He he really was, and he worked with Gary Colson. Now Gary Colson was up at Valdosta State, and then ends up at Pepperdine, then New Mexico. Ended up winning about six hundred games as a major college basketball coach. But Garney was was just soaked up everything that. Gary well, Barney Hatch was the first one when I was there at, the, at high school as an English teacher. Um, I got wind that the coaches wanted me, and I thought, wow, I didn't really want to get involved with that because coaching in high school figures to be about two cents an hour. You, you're on the field all day, all night, any, in the gym, wherever. But, you know, that was also one of my uh, characteristics. I mean, they, they recognize the coaches are very perceptive about where the talent or whatever they want is then they want to go get it, and they're very aggressive about going to get it. So I never have told this story really before, Franz, but um, the word came forth that uh, Coach Hatch wanted to see me. And um, I, I always liked him. I knew him real well, you know. And, and I um, went into his office, not really knowing what the conversation was going to be about, and he threw me a shirt, okay? 
um, I'm pulling my shirt like this one. And he said, welcome aboard, Coach. And it had Coach Scott on it. I didn't even said. He didn't even ask me. I didn't even said no. You see, it was already a done deal in his mind. And once he threw that shirt at me with my name on it, why, uh, there, you, there you go. I mean, uh, it's done. And, and do we have a call coming in or not? Uh, okay. Well, when you have Tony Talbot as your principal and then Joe Hudson as your principal, right. and Nye Black decides something's going to happen, uh, Mr. Talbot and Mr. Hudson, you know, it was like a rubber stamp, okay? Yeah, I knew those guys so well. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like, okay, that's a rubber stamp. You know, you're going to do it. Yeah. You may not have decided you're going to do it yet, but you are going to do it. <laughs> well, I remember John Neller was a vice, uh, was a vice principal, assistant principal, and, he, and he's still around, you know, John Neller. Is, is he really? Yes, he's ageless. God bless him. He's great. How old? How old? Uh, he's up. there, must be ninety. Oh come on! He's got to be more than he ninety. Might be, but my mom's ninety three. He looks the same as he always did, and he said to me after they, I, you know, I had to put the shirt on right away, you know, because the kids all had to see it. So he said to me, he says, "Well, Ward, you're going to learn one thing: you can't serve two masters, and you're going to end up serving those coaches." <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Because that's, that's the way it was, you know. And the funny thing about me being an English teacher, I've not told this story much, but we had on Sunday afternoons endless meetings in Coach Knobloch's office, which was, you have to understand those days, friends, we kept the gym hot and dusty for a reason, because the field was hot and dusty. So we didn't have any air conditioning. We didn't try to clean the thing up. We had big fans that circulated the air, but that was it. Because, hey, why would we work you out in an air-conditioned gym and then put you in a Florida sun to play? It doesn't make any sense. It stunk. Yeah, and, and the odor, odiferous, uh, pungent, wonderful smell of dried sweat. You can't miss it. We should make a perfume about that. Anyway, uh, in, in, in Coach Knobloch's office, it, was, it could accommodate the whole staff. And he had a big blackboard. And the conversations we would have in there would be, uh, you, uh, you've probably never been in on one, but we dissect every single thing about you. You know, I mean, there is no secret. When your name goes up on the board and we put Franz Beard up there, every, it's all hands on. And we talk about everything. We're going to get this because I want to get into Richardson in a minute. It's all hands on. And invariably... By the time you're through, there's there's every kid's name is up there, and he's been thoroughly analyzed, you know. And you've been arguing about where you want to move them and all this stuff if you want them. Invariably, when we'd start that process, he'd say, Coach Hogg! <laughs> That's where I got Coach Hogg's locker room. Get up there to the board and write these names up. You're an English teacher. You can spell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That was so funny. But, uh, yeah, that was one of the things that we would do, and it would take all afternoon. Well, I, I, I'm going to tell you a little story about <laughs> Coach Hatch decided after, after we had lost to Winter Park, Coach Hatch decided that we were going to, to go into the weight room and get stronger. Nye Black had been telling us we needed to be stronger. And really what it was was we had guys who played football, and if they were playing basketball, they couldn't be in the weight room. So I, I, Nye Black convinced Garney that we had to be in the weight room, too. And that way he got the basketball players who were playing both sports in the weight room <laughs> and not just playing basketball. Well, um, Bob, you know, he paired each one of us off, in uh, basketball players, with a, with a football player. Now, you know, we had guys like Jimmy Roundtree who didn't need it. Jimmy Roundtree looked like he was he sculpted. Didn't need to lift he, he looked like he was sculpted. He played against Panama City with a broken uh, leg. Yeah. Well, he looked he looked like he was sculpted. Anyway, and you know, here I am, 155 pounds and six one and skinny, and um, but I'm paired with Bob Weatherington. I don't know if you remember. I remember Bob Weatherington. Okay. And you know how Nye Black was about climbing the rope. Now, I never figured out what climbing a rope did for you as a football player or a basketball <laughs> player, for all that matters. But he's got us to climbing the rope. Well, Bob and hand I... Hand over hand rope. Still. Bob and I both have this slight problem, and that is we have a, 
this fear of heights. <laughs> oh gosh! Don't say fear around Coach Nobleh. <laughs> and we, both of us. I mean, you know, we're talking about this, and he says, "I don't like heights." And you know, the the rope was twenty. It was twenty feet up. Oh my golly! I was a quite. I was a heck of a climb. And it was twenty feet. Yeah. And um, Bob doesn't like heights. I don't like heights. So we had a. We came up with a little, little deal, and that was. Bob would get down like hunch over. I would go up on his up on his back <laughs> and climb up oh, and no. go about five <laughs> feet up the rope. And he'd look, and I'm holding up there, and he'd say, "Here comes the like, Come on down!" And I come down like you've been up there, like you've been up like I'd been up there. And then I'd do the same thing for Bob. And Nod like always thought that we had climbed the oh, rope. Oh man, don't let him find out you w- did. Well, he found out about it one day at Ryan's, and he said. Oh, I always wondered how Weatherington got up there. <laughs> and, well, Weatherington never got up there. I mean, that was well. You know, you have to understand that. Also, the the uh, train axles that were there were no leg press machines deliberately. So he, uh, Coach Nobleck, made leg press machines out of train axles, and the uh, uh, player would have to lie in a kind of a sandy trough that had been scooped out which deliberately had not had any of the sand spurs removed. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you, you would lie down on that train axle, and that's the way you'd do your, your leg uh, push-ups with your legs, leg, re- <laughs> leg presses, and you'd be, it'd be ants and, and, oh, my golly, and, uh, you know, uh, sand spurs and everything. Oh, that's right. You gotta, come on. <laughs> that was all. For root hog or die, really, on goal line stands and things, that was really what that was a training for, for goal line stands, root hog or die, get down in there and dig in, you know? Well, you, you got people don't realize that we, you know, this is in an era when there were big, uh, some big teams out there. We were not one of them as, as far as physical size, but I don't think there was a stronger oh, man. team. We had a weight room at Gainesville High School that the football players at the University of Florida would come over and ask yeah. permission to use because our weight room was twice the size of the one at UF, 10 times the equipment right. and everything like that. And, of course, if you could tolerate the smell, you could, you could get oh, a pretty yeah. good workout in there. Oh, yeah. and, but it was an, wasn't unusual. You'd come over there, and there are Florida football players. Right. The guys we're going to see on Saturday are in there working out. Florida wasn't really into weights then. No. They were not. They had big guys, but nobody in the weights. And you know where he picked up the weights from was uh, from David Hurst. Yeah. And, and, and the Stark Tornadoes, uh, Bradford County Tornadoes, Stark Tornadoes, were the state champions, state champions, state champions. David Hurst has now passed, as has Coach Not Black. But David told me, the little guy, David was a little guy, and he had a, a, an arm that never developed, but he was a great player nevertheless. And he said he always felt safe because Not Black was his friend, and they walked the halls together in high school. So nobody ever picked on David. But David was the first one to develop the concept of weights um, for a high school team, and they originally made their own. They had a foundry there in Stark, and they made their own weights. So that's where all that got started. But it, it was took a skinny kid named Larry Brown that nobody'd ever heard of, a skinny black kid, and they was the first kid to integrate Bradford County High School and he was a he, he's a skinny black kid and he ends up getting on weights and next thing you know he is he goes he's 6'4 and 175 pounds and next thing you know he's 6'4 200 then he's 6'5 and 220 gets a scholarship to Kansas State ends up starting for the Pittsburgh Steelers and was the left tackle for uh, Terry Bradshaw for all for those four Pittsburgh Super Bowl champions out of Stark, Florida. Yep. Stark was and, really... But he, he did it. Dave, you know what you're talking about? David Hurst got him on weights, and he was a skinny kid who thought he was going to play basketball until David Hurst got a hold of him. We're talking with Franz Baird, and we got a player here that we're going to talk about because he's in the news, and golly, I bet he wishes he had not gotten in the news. And this will be really 
from my point of view as Coach Hogg, this would be the first real test for this new football coach here as to how he helps this young man understand his role with the University of Florida Gators. And we're talking about our quarterback who was loaded with talent, of course, everyone knows that, came out of Eastside High School, I believe, if I'm right, Franz. Yeah. And is uh, really all set to have a very big leadership role and gets pulled over doing 100 miles an hour in a vehicle, which I think is probably part of his name, image, and likeness. It is an NIL vehicle. It's an NIL deal. He's riding in a vehicle which has been advanced to him, if you will, by the collective at over 100 miles an hour, and he gets a ticket. Now, I know what would happen if the coach were Coach Knobloch. Um, The stadium steps are there for a reason, not just for people to sit in and watch a game. But they're there to remind you of where your place is in this scheme of things. And I've known guys to run those things 10, 15, 20 times until they get the point. I don't know how Coach Napier is going to do it. As I say his name right, Napier, Napier, I don't know how he's going to do it. But there has Napier. 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 There has to be, as we say in church, a come to Jesus meeting about this, wouldn't you say? Well, I guarantee you this. Anthony Richardson is going to discover the stadium steps. And not just in the afternoon or whatever like this. We're talking about the 6 a.m. stadium steps. There's one thing, you know, I've talked to a lot of players. In fact, I was was talking to a bunch of them. You believe this coach will do that? Oh, I know he will. He will? I was was with a bunch of the players – uh, before the game, uh, the Townsend brothers had a, the Townsend Foundation had a big tailgate thing, and you would be amazed at the number of the players from all, all, all dating back to the 60s, like Bruce Mullenix was there and uh, people like that. The 60s and the 70s, Jimmy Ray Stevens was there. He's retiring in two months mm-hmm. after all these years of coaching and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he coached Waffle. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I have Fort Walton Beach. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm talking to all the all these guys, and we the, the subject of stadium steps came up. And as one of them told me, there's one thing to run stadiums in the afternoon. It's another thing to be rousted out of bed at 5.30 in the morning, and at 6 o'clock, you were there running stadium steps, and you're going to run for an hour, and you haven't had breakfast or anything like this. And about 10 minutes into it, you know, you, you, you feel like you're going to hurl at any moment. And 15 minutes into it, you feel like you're going to pass out. And 20 minutes into it, you think that if somebody would give you a gun, you'd shoot yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is what they're talking about. They said, you know, Stadium steps first thing in the morning are the ultimate punishment. And, and because of that basic reason, because they roust you out of bed and by golly, you know, and if you don't show for stadiums, oh my gosh, you know, the fear of God doesn't even come close to what's going to be in you. And speaking of stadiums, and I've run a few stadium steps here and in other stadiums. And one of the interesting things about our stadium that you may not realize if you've never been there, and an awful lot of people do go there. It has three levels, three grades. It starts out rather gently, then it increases, and then it really goes up, and it goes up quite a severe angle for a lot of steps. So you, uh, I've run the stadium, for example, at Purdue, and it's nothing like our stadium. It's much more gradual. This is a real a load to run, and um, what we're talking about is – how shall we deal if it's coaches with someone like uh, Anthony Richardson, who is in an NIL gift car, if you will, a uh, truck, as I understand it, doing 100, over 100 miles an hour and gets pulled over. And he is, according to Coach Napier, the face of the Gators. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, friends? Well, he is. And, and he, he, this is a lesson he's got to learn. If you're going to lead – you have if you're going to be a leader you have to lead and doing stupid stuff is not being a leader because if teammates see you doing stupid stuff and getting away with it for example 
you've lost the team before you ever had them. And this is why I'm going to tell you, the expect the punishment to be severe, expect it to be swift. Because Billy, one thing about Billy, he really and truly understands this concept of the team. And the one thing that people... Well, that's radically different from what we had last time. I yeah, it is. And, and here's the thing about football. I remember something Urban Meyer said, one of his first press conferences. He says that in football, he says, a good coach can sit there and watch the other team. In three minutes, you already know where the weak link is. Oh, sure. Football, there's no hiding somebody. Oh, sure. Unlike, you know, baseball, you can make somebody a DH or... A pitcher that, right. a pitcher that has no stamina, you can put him in the bullpen and tennis. And, you can put him down at number six. You know, you know things like this. You you can. There's all sorts of things you can do to hide him there. Basketball, uh, a guy that can't shoot just doesn't get the ball. Let the shooter shoot, and this guy gets. If he's on the court, his job is to rebound or do whatever like that. But you can hide people. There is no hiding in football. There is none. Uh, it's 11 guys, and one guy who isn't getting it done, it, it shows. And But the guy that makes it all, it, as Reggie Jackson once said, the straw that stirs the drink is the quarterback. Oh, yeah. And unlike, best athlete. It, unlike any other sport, uh, he you have one guy that is the guy in football. And he's not only the guy for the 11 that are on the field, He's the guy for the 11 on the defensive team. He's the guy for the special teams. He's the guy for 85 guys mm -hmm. on scholarship. And you can't have the guy screwing up like this. Now, you may get away with it once, and you may, I, I mean, get away with it. I don't mean go unpunished, but, I mean, do something stupid like this once. You may be able to do it once, but if you do it a second time, trust me that the erosion of confidence. Well, it'll trickle down to the whole team and it will create a slipshod type of behavior that will be counterproductive to the concept of the team. There's no question about it. You know, looking at the weak link, one of the things they used to send me out, and I'd like used to send me out to do, was to scout. And I'd go out to the teams we'd be playing next time. Ron's, I don't, a lot of people don't know that. But, you know, I thought that was – I guess he saw me as analytical. And, and besides – You can write. And, and can write. And also, he had – when I came there, he said, I want you to be with me. I want to teach you the offensive line because that's where it all starts. So I, I learned a lot right away from being his, uh, his apprentice, if you will. But you can – you know, I got pretty good at that in, in terms of being able to take – because I had to come back and represent it to the staff, you know, and it had to be reliable mm -hmm. and say, listen, here's where you may ought to start building your offense is this spot right here. And um, that was really good training because – and I'm going to tell you something. You talk about your feelings. Your feelings don't matter. I mean, when you come back, if you can't cut it and we report, we're going to take advantage of you because I think one of the things you always do, no matter the game, you always pick on the guy's weakness until he either – Makes it a strength, or can't 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 change it. Yeah, and uh, that's that's all part of that scout. But you don't want the weakness to be your own player. That's the problem that we're really fundamentally talking about here. If you can look at the other team and see a weakness, and you can go after it, that's one thing. But you don't want your own player, in this case, who's your star player, to be your weakness. I mean, that yeah. will absolutely sink the ship. Well, leaders have to lead, and leading. You know, it's kind of like being um, that guy that leads the charge up San Juan Hill. If the guy that's leading the charge up the hill is a coward, and I'm not saying that Anthony's a coward or anything. I'm just using the right. analogy of, of that. But if, you, if the people behind perceive that the guy leading the charge up the hill is a coward, they're not going to fight. And this is the one, it, it's like, you know, one of the things Coach Ellenson once told me about Patton was he said, Every, nobody ever believed that Patton wouldn't get in a tank and drive it into battle himself. And that was one of the things that made him a great leader was he was not, he was not some, some guy that just 
talked to the good game and gave orders and sent people to die. He's a guy that they knew. Yeah, he was making the plans and everything, but he was also a guy that wouldn't hesitate to get in a tank because he was a tank guy from the beginning. They knew that he would get in a tank and would drive the tank. And Coach Ellison is one of the great coaches we had here who was actually in uh, D-Day. Well, he, he won two silver stars at the Battle of the Bulge. Right. Both of them pinned on him by General Patton. Right. Boy, I tell you, you can't – that's saying a lot. And he came on to be the head defensive coach at the University of Florida under Greg Grays, and I think he should have been the head coach of the should University have been. of Florida. Should have been. Well, but Francis, has been great, great talking to you. We'll have to do this time and time again because I think storytelling – Par excellence here with my good friend is one of his uh, strong suits. And that's basically what this is. This is all about storytelling. And uh, we know a lot of stuff. That we haven't even really scratched the surface. I mean, and I appreciate my good buddy Jack Phillips telling me and reminding me uh, who ran that opening kickoff back for us in the Wolfen game uh, that there was no butter on <laughs> those potatoes and pancakes. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks for coming by, friends. Well, Warthog Command Center out.